I will now again read God's word from the same book we're considering this morning, Acts in chapter 14. Book of Acts chapter 14 from verse 19. Here Paul and Barnabas were still on this first missionary journey. We saw this morning how on that journey they first went to the island of Cyprus. Well thereafter they went up into the area known and the region known as Asia Minor. And they went from city to city. And we'll read in verse 19 of what took place in the city of Lystra after they had passed through or come from the city of Iconium. So from verse 19 to the end of the chapter. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, that's to Lystra, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. That's Antioch and Pisidia as opposed to Antioch and Syria. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, that's Antioch in Syria, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, They reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Well, this morning we considered the beginning of this Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. And we noted some of the founding principles upon which they set out on that journey. This was a mission that was spirit-led, prayer-based and gospel-centred. Well, here in these verses, in this short narrative we've read, we come to the end of this missionary journey 
the end of what had been a most fruitful mission for Saul or Paul and Barnabas. As the Spirit had worked in power in the hearts of many of their hearers, both Jews and Gentiles. But this mission had also been a mission in which Paul and Barnabas had endured much opposition and much persecution. For although the spirit was at work, so too the world, the flesh and the devil were at work, seeking to oppose the cause of Christ and the gospel of Christ, which they preached with such power. We see something of that opposition in the first verses that we read. After (laughs) proclaiming the word in the city of Lystra, We're told there in verse 19 that Jews from Antioch and Iconium came. So those were the cities where Paul and Barnabas had just been. They came and persuaded the multitudes. Then they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So it had been a mission of great fruit, but also a a mission of much Opposition. Well, here in these verses, we read of how the mission came to an end, how it concluded, and what's notable from these verses is that the mission concluded as a mission that was founded on the exact same principles upon which it had begun. This mission remained to be a mission that was spirit-led, prayer-based, and gospel-centered. With God's help, we'll see that this evening. And we'll see what more that has to say to us as the people of God in the present. Before we close, we'll also see a fourth principle, which was at the heart of this missionary journey and so should be at the heart of our mission as the church of christ in the present day but first we can see how this mission remained to be a spirit-led mission we saw how at the outset the holy spirit spoke to the church in antioch to the leaders there and said now separate to me paul and barnabas to the work or for the work to which I have called them. And then we saw how the Spirit first led them to Cyprus, and then onto Asia Minor, where they went from place to place. We don't know how or in what way they discerned when it was time to move from one city to the next. In later missionary journeys, we are given examples, for instance, the Macedonian call. Where Paul was called to go to that place in a very clear way. We read of how the Spirit prevented them from going to Bithynia. Well, so too they discerned by the Spirit when it was time to go from place to place on this journey. Most often they discerned that it was a time when they were expelled from that city. Such was the opposition. They went from city to city because often they were expelled by city after city. But it's not to say that they simply left whenever the going got tough. 
For instance, when they were in Iconium, we're told that they proclaimed the word of God at the start of this chapter, chapter 14. Many came to believe, Jews and Gentiles, but then there rose up opposition. We're told back in verse 2 of chapter 14, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Then we're told of Paul and Barnabas, therefore they stayed there a long time. Opposition rose up and so they stayed, speaking boldly of the Lord, speaking boldly the gospel of Christ. And so too here, in this portion we read of what took place in Lystra, when Paul was stoned for the gospel that he preached. He was left outside of that city with the people supposing him to be dead. But we're told in verse 20 that the Lord granted him strength and he rose up. And what did he do when he rose up? We're told there that he went back into the city. He went back into the city where he had been stoned. But then the next day, he and Barnabas determined that it was right that they move on, that they go to the city of Derby. And it's made clear to us here that they had a fruitful time in that city. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, they made many disciples. As we read of them making many disciples in that city, what we essentially see is that here were two men continuing to fulfill the commission that they had been given. Continuing to do the work which the Spirit had called them to. We think back to Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. Christ said, go therefore and make disciples not just of Israel, but of all the nations, he said. Well, here they were in all cities, if you like, of all nations, making many disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling their commission, Paul especially fulfilling his commission to be a chosen vessel of God to the Gentiles. But here in this city of Derby, they reached a crossroads. They essentially reached the end of the region in which they had been going from city to city. They were approaching the border of Cilicia, in which was found Tarsus, which was Paul's own home city. And so it would have been fair for them perhaps at this time to say that this was this first missionary journey completed. Paul may have returned to Tarshish for a period, or they may have gone by the mainland back to Antioch in Syria from where they began this journey. But no, the Spirit made it clear to them, and they knew in their hearts that the Lord yet had work for them to do on this missionary journey and so we read that having gone from city to city here in Asia Minor they essentially retraced their steps we read in verse 21 that after they preached the gospel to Derby to that city and made many disciples they returned to Lystra Iconium and Antioch they essentially went back 
from where they had come. This is because Paul and Barnabas knew that the call to, to go forth with the gospel and indeed to make disciples. They knew of disciples, that disciples don't simply need to hear the word of God once, but to hear the word of God again and again. They knew that churches don't simply need to be planted, but they need to be watered. And so here they sought to go back to these cities and to water the works which the Lord had begun. This reminds us ourselves that we in our soul, our souls do not simply need to be saved, but our souls are in need of strengthening day by day. Is that not partly why we come to the Lord's house week by week and in the midweek as well? So that we might be strengthened on the way, that we might grow in our faith, we might be built up as the people of God. And that's what we read of here. As they went to these cities, verse 22, they went strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. When Christ said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, he went on to speak of the need to baptize them, but also to teach them all things that I have commanded you. And so here, after these churches have been planted, we see Paul and Barnabas going back to teach them further by the power of the Spirit, and indeed by the leading of the Spirit, to strengthen them and build them up. We're told there that they were exhorting the people in these churches. And that word is an interesting word in the Greek. At roots, it's the word paraclete, which Christ used to speak of the Spirit whom he has given to us. The word is parakaleo at root, which is, the word para, the prefix para, means alongside. Kaleo means to call, so to call alongside, to encourage, to exhort. And so as these men exhorted, they exhorted as those who were led by the Spirit and indeed upheld by the Spirit, used of God to strengthen and to build up his church. Another way in which we can see that these men remain to be Spirit-led is that they were prepared to do this, that they had hearts ready to do this because this was no light thing for them to go back to these cities. We may just read this and say, okay, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. But to return to Lystra for Paul was to return to where he had been stoned and left for dead. To return to Iconium was to return to a city where a violent attempt had been made on their lives. To return to Antioch was to return to a city from which they had been expelled. It was no light thing for them to go to these cities again, but go they went. Their hearts were ready to go, and so they went by faith, discerning it to be the will of God. And this is important because there are times in our own walks where it may become clear to us that the Lord's will is for us to, to do a certain thing or to act in a particular way. But if our hearts are not in the right place, if our hearts 
are weak and afraid and gripped by fear. The danger of that is that our hearts might start to persuade us that that thing is not actually God's will for us at all. But knowing this to be God's will in their hearts, so the Lord equipped them in their hearts to go to these cities and to strengthen his church. And I'll come back to note what they specifically taught the people in these churches. But from now I want to note another way in which they were used to strengthen the churches. And we see that in verse 23 when we're told that they appointed elders in every church. They appointed elders in every church. I mentioned the need that they were aware of, the need for the church to be continually cared for and nurtured. Paul and Barnabas knew that they couldn't always be with every church. And so they oversaw this process of uh, electing men and appointing men to lead each of these congregations, even as we see in our own day, in our own midst. Appointed is literally the the raising of hands. And so through the raising of hands, the, the laying on of hands. What we ultimately see is the hand of the Lord at work in the midst of his church. Raising up men to lead. Equipping men to lead. Building up and establishing his church. The words that are used to speak of what these apostles did in these churches. These are words that are speaking of establishing and making firm. And so here the Lord was doing so in the midst of these young congregations and young churches, by his Spirit, through uh, these vessels, he was at work in the midst. And what need we have for the Spirit to be at work in our own midst, as we thought this morning, applying the Word of God to our lives, helping us to discern the will of God in our life, raising up men to proclaim the Word, to serve as deacons and elders in the church of Christ throughout the land, what need we have for the Spirit to be at work. It's clear that Paul and Barnabas were aware of that need because not only did this mission continue to be a Spirit-led mission, but it also continued to be a prayer-based mission. And we'll see that second, that this continued to be a prayer-based mission. We saw how this work was initially founded on prayer this morning. That when the Spirit called for these men to be separated and set apart to himself, the church fasted and prayed, then laid hands on them and set them out. We saw that they prayed with fasting, with fervency and with earnestness. They prayed to God as they sent out these men to this work. This is actually reflected upon in our passage here in verse 26. When we read that finally when they sailed back to Antioch, that place is described as the place where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work. So when they had set out, they had been 
commended to the grace of God. And here we see in this passage that just as Paul and Barnabas had been prayed for and commended, so too they lived and they served on this mission as those who were prayerful and as those who were commending. Because we read that after they appointed the elders in every church, in verse 23 we're told that they then prayed with fasting and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So these elders were appointed. And then with prayer, the apostles commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Those who sent out Paul and Barnabas initially prayed for Paul and Barnabas because they knew that they would only prosper if the hand of the Lord went with them. And for the very same reason, here Paul and Barnabas prayed for these elders and for these young churches because they knew that their great need was for the hand of the Lord to go before them and to bless them. They could have as many people as they wanted. They could have as many elders as they wanted. They could have as many apostles as they wanted. But what was most important was that the Lord went with them and that the grace of God was known and experienced among them. And so they commended them. This word commended here is another interesting word. I mentioned how the word exhorting has that prefix in the Greek para, which means alongside. Well, so too this word commended has that same prefix. But rather than meaning to call alongside, this word means to set alongside or to set before. This word could be used to speak of someone setting a meal before someone else. In fact, it is used in that way. In Mark chapter 6, where we read of Christ feeding the 5,000, we're told that he took the bread and he gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And that's the same word used here in verse 23 to speak of Paul and Barnabas commending these churches and these elders to the Lord. Essentially, they were setting them before the Lord. And is that not a beautiful, beautiful picture of prayer? As we pray for one another, as we pray for our elders, as we pray for those whom we love so dearly who do not yet know the Lord, as we pray for those as we've done so this night who are knowing times of great weakness, in Christ we can set them before the Lord, even before the throne of God. I mentioned in verse 26 how the prayers of the church in Antioch were reflected upon. It reflects there that they had been commended to the grace of God. And I sense that word is actually stronger. It's a similar word, but it's a different word again. And rather than meaning to set alongside, that word means to to give alongside. 
The word at root is actually the word that's used in that same passage in Mark 6 where it says that Christ gave the bread to the disciples to set before the people. It's the word gave. It's, it's to give before. The church in Antioch, we're told here, essentially committed Paul and Barnabas to the grace of God. How often there can be things in our own lives that we want to keep hold of that we want to, to control, we find it very hard to loosen our grip of. And in those situations, how quick we can be to forget that it is the hand of the Lord that is ultimately needed. And his hands are best, and his hands are most needed in every situation. As we think of these pictures of prayer to to set before the Lord and to give before the Lord or to commit to the Lord. I shared recently with the church in Glasgow of something my grandfather said to me when I left to the States for a few years for seminary. Leaving him was probably the most difficult aspect of my departure as he was older in years and indeed is very dear to me. And as I left him, he said to me quite simply, you pray for me and I'll pray for you. You pray for me and I'll pray for you. Now it may seem quite a simple thing to say. But when you think about it, it's really a lovely thing for a Christian to say to another Christian. Because what he was essentially saying was, I know that I'm not able to go with you. I know that you're not able to stay with me. I know that I'm not able to watch over you and protect you each and every day. I know that you're not able to watch over and protect me each and every day. But we both know the Lord who is able. So as I pray for you, and as you pray for me, let us set one another before him who is able, that he might keep us, that he might nurture us, that he might bless us. That's prayer, brothers and sisters. To set one another before the Lord, to set our burdens before the Lord and to commit them to him. What a blessing. What a means of grace. And so may we use it. And may we use it well. Of course it wasn't just the apostles who had the practice of commending others to the grace of God. But Christ himself. Just think of the high priestly prayer where he not only prayed for the apostles. But he prayed for everyone who would believe in his name. Even you and me brother and sister. He prayed for us on that night. And surely he yet commends us as he sits at the Father's right hand as our great intercessor. In him our prayers are offered, but also in him our prayers are heard. Christ is not just our pattern in prayer. He's our confidence in prayer, is he not? And we're reminded even in this passage that he, that our Lord is the hearer of 
prayer because in verse 26 we're told that when they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. In other words we're told here, we're reminded that they had been commended to the grace of God for that work. Well, as we're told that the work was completed we're essentially told that grace had been given. The Lord had heard that prayer and he had been pleased to give grace in abundance. Just as this was a mission that continued to be spirit-led, so too it was a mission that continued to be prayer-based. And so may this encourage us ourselves to continue in prayer, to not lose heart in prayer, and to always praise God, who is the hearer of prayer. Spirit-led and prayer-based. Thirdly, we can see that this mission continued to be gospel-centred or word-centred. Paul and Barnabas were sent out as essentially a light to the Gentiles by the power of Christ. and In doing so, they were fulfilling the prophetic word, the passages that we read of Christ going forth as such a light. And as those who went out in this way, they went as those as we've seen, as those who were commended to the grace of God. And so they went as those who proclaimed the word of God's grace. We saw how when they first landed on Cyprus, the first thing they did was they went to the synagogue of the Jews and they proclaimed the word of God. Primacy of preaching. And what we can see that despite all they went through, this did not change. They kept to this pattern of placing in first place the preaching of God's truth. We read of when they went to Derby in verse 21. And what did they do there? They preached the gospel to that city. And so too in the last place they came to, which was Perga, we're told there in verse 25 when they had reached, uh, or when they had preached the word in Perga. So what we see is the first thing they did when they got off the boat at Cyprus was they proclaimed the word of God. Well, so too the last thing that they did in Perga before they went to get back on the boat at Italia, the last thing they did was proclaim the word of God. This was a mission that was bookended with the proclamation of God's word and filled with the proclamation of God's word. These men who proclaimed God's word at the end as they had proclaimed it at the beginning, as we've seen, endured much tribulation and affliction. But it did not change their emphasis on the preaching of God's word and his gospel because they knew that the opposition was not due to a problem with the word but a problem with the hearts of those who were failing to hear the word. And what becomes clear in this passage is that by this word the Lord was not just using Paul and Barnabas to 
the end that souls might be saved through the preaching of the word, but also so that souls might be strengthened. As we read in verse 22 of them going to these churches and strengthening the souls of the disciples, we're told that they did so essentially by preaching the faith and the kingdom. Specifically, we're told that they informed the people and exhorted the people saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Here they essentially spoke of how those who follow Christ will endure trial and tribulation and persecution. And what this shows us is that these were men who were unafraid to proclaim the whole counsel of God. They were not just preaching the sweet truths of God's word, but also the more difficult truths of God's word. And surely as we seek to be strengthened as the people of God, we need both. We need the the encouragements and the comforts, but so too the warnings and even the rebukes, so that we might be prepared for what may come our way. As Paul and Barnabas proclaimed the whole council, they simply followed in the steps of Christ. Of Christ who did give the encouragement and the comfort, saying, Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But at the same time, gave the challenge that anyone who desires to come after me must take up his cross, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And as Paul and Barnabas spoke of God's people enduring tribulation, surely this held more weight as they proclaimed it because they evidently were living out this truth. They were living out this truth and walking witnesses to this truth. As I've mentioned, here were men who had been expelled from city to city. Paul was a man who had been stoned. He would write to the Galatians, to these peoples of these cities. He would write to them in that letter to the Galatians at the end in chapter 6 verse 17. And he would say, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Such was the suffering that he endured. The people saw them coming back to the cities in which they endured these things. Not just preachers of the word and of the tribulations that God's people will suffer, but walking witnesses to it. Their lives testifying to what Paul would say in his last letter to Second uh, to Timothy. Second Timothy three twelve, he would say, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And then he'd reflect in that portion of all the persecutions that he suffered in these cities, in Lystra, in Iconium, and in Antioch. But you see, these things are heavy truths in one sense. But we're told here that as the people heard of these things and saw of these things, their souls were strengthened. This teaching, this witness had a strengthening effect. And that's no doubt because these people not only saw in these men a witness to the fact that God's people will suffer 
for the sake of Christ as we testified to the name of Christ. <coughs> but so too they saw a witness to the fact that God sustains his people through our sufferings. Even as Paul spoke of his sufferings to Timothy there in that letter, in that chapter, he said, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. This is not to say that every Christian who suffers for the sake of Christ will be delivered from that persecution. Of course, we know of martyrs who have gone before us, who have laid down their lives for the faith. But even in that, in the meeting their deaths, according to God's purpose, is there not in that deliverance for the Christian? The joy of going to be with the Lord, having finished the race and kept the faith. The Lord in his grace and in his power and in his sovereignty is even able to use the sufferings of his people for our good and for the good of his cause. Even sanctifying us through our sufferings as we look to him. Indeed, as Paul himself wrote in Romans 8, we suffer with Christ that we may be glorified with him. As those who had been commended to God's grace, here were men who continued to be focused and centred upon the word of God's grace, proclaiming that word and witnessing to that word. And so may we remember the simple but the important truth that our lives need not be founded upon the words of men, but the word, the living word of the living God. And you know, as we do focus on the word and live lives founded upon the word, the more we go on and the more we endure by faith, surely the more that we will come to see that even the difficult and the hard truths of God's word are ultimately sweeter than honey. For the Christian, surely by faith we can come to see that even the difficult truths can be seen to be sweet in Christ. So we've seen how this mission ended as it began. It remained true to its founding principles, being spirit-led, prayer-based and gospel-centred. And really, just by way of conclusion, we can note one more principle which was at the heart of this mission. And that is that it was a God-glorifying mission. We're told that when they sailed back to Antioch, once they completed the work, in verse 27, when they had come and gathered the church together in Antioch, they reported all that God had done with them. They reported all that God had done with them. If you remember, the Lord spoke of how Paul was his chosen vessel. We saw this morning how Paul and Barnabas set out as those who had that mindset. Well, here we see that they returned as those who had that mindset as well. They didn't come before the people and speak of all that they had done. No, they spoke of all that God had done. They didn't speak 
of all that had been done to them by their persecutors. No, here they spoke of all that the Lord had done through them. And at the heart of what the Lord had done was, of course, the opening of the door of faith to the Gentiles. But again, here they didn't say that they had opened that door. But the Lord, in his grace, according to his purpose and his time, had opened the door. They reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. It was God who prophesied this back in the Old Testament. It was God who commissioned his apostles to go forth. And so while God uses means, it is God who, or it was God, who opened this door, accomplishing his word and his purpose. And that passage we read in Isaiah 42, it speaks of how this would take place. And it speaks too of the Lord not giving his glory to another. Well, here Paul and Barnabas refused to take the glory due to God to themselves rather said behold your God behold the wonderful works of his hands what he has done and what he is yet able to do they didn't just glorify God in Antioch but actually they had to take a trip up to Jerusalem after this in chapter 15 where the Jerusalem council would take place and we're told that as they went they stopped and city after city speaking of what the Lord had done in these Gentile lands in verse 4 we're told that when they had come to Jerusalem this is of chapter 15 they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and again they reported all things that God had done with them all things that God had done with them and then finally in verse 12 we're told that all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul what were they saying they were declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles at every opportunity and at every place glorifying God and refusing to take or to try to take any of that glory to themselves. As we considered these principles this morning, I challenged yourselves and I challenged myself to live a life by God's grace that is spirit-led, prayer-based and gospel-centered. Well, the truth of the matter is, as we see here, that if we live a life founded upon these principles, then this fourth principle will flow from them. A life as individuals and as a church that is spirit-led, prayer-based and gospel-centered will surely be a life that is God-glorifying. And so by his grace, may we lead such lives. May we lead such witnesses and have such witnesses 
not seeking to bring glory to ourselves or glory to other men, but glory to God who is on high. And may our God be pleased to bless these thoughts upon his word. We'll sing in conclusion in Psalm 66, the same psalm we opened with. And we'll sing the final three verses, which speak of one seeking to glorify God as the hearer of prayer and the saver or the one who saves souls. Verse 16 of Psalm 66. All that fear God come here. I'll tell what he did for my soul. I with my mouth unto him cried. My tongue did him extol. If in my heart I sin regard, the Lord will me not hear. But surely God me heard, and to my prayer's voice gave ear. O let the Lord, our gracious God, forever blessed be, who turned not my prayer from him, nor yet his grace from me. These verses stand to sing to God's praise and remain in standing for prayer.
Be at work, we pray. And especially bless your people here in Stornoway. Encourage their hearts, lift up their hearts. And as they prepare for the beginning of a new ministry, may they know your leading and your guiding and the upholding of your hand. We ask all these things in the name of Christ the King. Amen.